Hi there. Welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast, the home of community and culture in teaching. I'm Matthew Bliss, I'm your host, and welcome back to another week, another great episode with another great teacher. And this week is going to be a good one. I can tell you this has been one of my favorite episodes to record so far. But of course, we've had some great episodes in the last five before this one, number six. So make sure you go back and listen to those episodes if you can. And if you haven't, guarantee you there's going to be some good stuff in there. Just as a quick reminder as well, this first initial season is covering stuff for pre-service teachers or people looking to get into the profession. But if you're a teacher already, or you've been in the industry for even 20 years, there's going to be some good stuff in here for you. So make sure you do give it a listen. Now, before we introduce the episode, there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you guys about. First of all, the podcast finally has a website. If you head to teachingculturecast.com, you'll find that we've got the homepage that will have the latest episode on the front. We've got all of our episodes listed there and you can listen to them on the website as well. And there's even a little summary about me and the inception of the podcast. Now, you should keep that webpage bookmarked because there's going to be a lot of good stuff coming as we talk to more teachers that provide more resources. There's going to be a lot more things that I can post there that will be useful beyond just learning how to teach. So keep an eye on it. Make sure it's close in your your browser bookmarks bar and there's going to be some good stuff coming. Make sure you give it a visit. Also, this coming week, there are New South Wales teachers as part of the union that will be going on strike. And uh, I just want to say that the Teaching Culture Cast and all the teachers that are listening are in full support of that movement. I know that there's been some uh, attempts by the government to try and prevent that strike action, but we know that they're representing the ideals of teachers trying to push for better pay fairer work conditions, and especially after the last two years of a pandemic response, where education has very much been a a pawn in a government's game. So make sure that you're rallying behind the action if you can. If you're on Twitter, make sure you're using the hashtag more than thanks. And if you like, you can follow us on Twitter as well at TeachCultCast, and we'll be following that closely and showing our support. Now, this week on the episode, we are going to be talking to Tanya who is a teacher that is first year out, her methods being English and history. We're going to be hearing her story being a first year out grad teacher and what that experience is actually like. Now, this is going to be a really good one for the pre-service teachers listening. That first year out is often a bit of a void. It's hard to get a good idea of what that experience is going to be like. And I've got to tell you, Tanya being a first year out, you wouldn't think there'd be that much maturity and understanding and reflection about how her year has gone. There's twists, there's turns. You never know which direction it's going to go, but there is some great advice in there and we'll be keenly following Tanya's story as she proceeds with her career. So without further ado, here is the episode for this week. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast, the home for community and culture in teaching. I'm Matthew Bliss, your host. And this week, we're going to be talking to Tanya, who's a secondary teacher, first year out, and uh, just getting started on her teaching career. How are you going, Tanya? I am good. Thank you for having me, Matthew. I feel very privileged to be here. We're only a few episodes deep and the prestige is rising the more episodes we do. So <laughs> I know. I feel like I'm joining at the right time. I'm here to see the rise of the podcast after this episode. Definitely. 
but we'll <laughs> etch our way into stardom with the conversation we're having today, which is going to really be based around um, your entry into teaching and how your first year went and all the spiraling things around it that um, mm. may have contributed either positively or negatively. We want to hit a lot of pre-service teachers and get that experience out of you to set their minds at ease. But before we do that, do you want to give us an idea of your, your background? What led you to teaching in the first place? And is there any other interesting tidbits of your past that contributed as well? Yeah, I felt like um, in a way I always knew that I wanted to get into teaching. I was quite fortunate in that sense in that I knew what I wanted to do quite early. And it wasn't until a friend told me, hey, I think you'd be a pretty good teacher, that my mind, the light bulb in, in my brain sort of flicked on. And I thought, okay, let me explore that a little bit. Um, I also come from a performing arts background. I was always into dancing and musicals. So I feel like teaching is a natural progression from that. I've always seen teaching as a performance in a sense because you have your audience and you need to be as engaging and you know as um, memorable as possible. So I often credit my my performing arts background as a major influence I feel and I feel like it comes into my teaching today. But I I knew quite early that I wanted to be a teacher probably around year 9 or year 10 it was always floating in my mind and although I did explore different avenues I always landed back on teaching. So my path was relatively simple. I came straight out of high school with my clear methods. I knew what I wanted to teach. I went into a bachelor first because I wanted to just spend some time growing up. I was still quite young by the time I finished year 12, so I just mm. wanted to explore my fields of interest, do a bit of research, um, really develop my knowledge, experience, travel, all those things. Just before you keep going, could you just tell us which methods it was that you managed to get? So I did a double major in English and history. Mm. So I was very much going down that humanities, you know, crazy English teacher um, <laughs> route. <laughs> early on and that was influenced by some of the teachers that I had. So I did all, you know, the things that a typical young 20-year-old would do, just experience life, and then I went into my masters of teaching straight away. So I went high school to masters to graduating within 5 years. It was quite a quick trajectory mm -hmm. and I landed my first full-time teaching job straight away. Lovely. So it's been a full steam ahead since I was around 17 and a half. Well, you talked about the traveling around though. You got to take a bit of a break while you were doing the masters and your- No, I, I took no break. So I oh. traveled in between semester breaks. Okay. And often a lot of the travel I did was to increase my historical knowledge or my, I guess, knowledge of literature. I went all around Europe um, and quite literally planned my trip around seeing things that would probably help me in my, in my teaching. So I went to like Versailles, if I ever taught, you know, year 12 revolutions. I went to Berlin and did that whole Cold War route. Um, and then everywhere in Rome is, you know, walking history and walking literature. So yeah. even that was very much so centered on my, I guess, future subjects and what I would be doing as a teacher, but I loved it. It was, it was great. One of the big questions that most pre-service teachers, as you, I'm sure you know, ask yourself towards the end of your course is, uh, how soon can I get this job? Yeah. Was it immediately after you graduated or had you been lucky enough to interview and secure the position before you finished the course? Yeah, I secured it around a month and a bit before I finished. And 
within our little circle of friends, it was such a large topic that probably in that last year, we were all so consumed by jobs. And especially um, when I graduated last year, we were peak lockdown in Melbourne, the second lengthy lockdown in 2020. Because the future was so uncertain in terms of traveling or going overseas or teaching abroad, we were all so focused on just landing a job so that we could teach in Melbourne. So pretty much everyone around me went straight into a full-time position. I started applying around August last year and I was I was one of the fortunate ones. It was my first application. I landed an interview straight away and I got the job. So it was relatively easy. Not, I'm not going to say easy. It was quite stressful on my behalf. But in terms of um, it wasn't daunting or it wasn't as daunting as some grads or pre-service teachers make it out to be because you're so scared that you have no skills to offer or that they're not going to see anything in you because you have no experience. But I found it was rather the opposite. I found the interview experience really positive. I know it can be a bit of a competition sometimes too. I know in mm. my graduating my master's, there were a lot of students, uh, pre-service teachers, saying to themselves oh, and to each other, oh, I managed to get an interview next week. And then everyone in the tutorial or whatever class it might be goes, oh, they're pretty lucky. That's, um, yeah. that's what I want. I think it depends on the, the culture within the, the teacher course. Yeah. I was incredibly lucky. I had a really, really supportive course. And that was established from the get-go. We created like um, shared Google Drives where we would collaborate and share resources. We uploaded everything. We were really open with each other in that sense. So I think when it came around to interview time, we had all collaborated to write our key selection criteria and our resumes anyway, that we were really open in the interviews that were successful and, you know, the applications that we submitted. I, I remember it was one of my final classes that we were all in a breakout room and we just started chatting about future jobs and interviews and giving each other tips and pieces of advice. So I was quite lucky in that we had quite a supportive culture within my course, but it is, I I feel like as well, maybe where teaching is going, Mm. there is a lot of discussion about not a lot of ongoing positions being available, that it's increasingly becoming contract to contract. Maybe that might surface when when pre-service teachers are interviewing and having discussions about the interviews. But overall, it was a really positive and supportive environment. That's really good. Mm. Before we jump into your actual teaching, you're hitting a lot of big points, I think, with uh, the state of learning to teach at the moment, which mm. this year and last year was dare I say, plagued by the pandemic. Yeah. And on a previous episode where we talked to Alex, we found that with her experience, it was very, she felt very sectioned off that a lot of the students in her course weren't collaborating in the way that you just described. So I'm curious if you guys were working together so so well in response to the pandemic, or were you just naturally collaborating with each other? I think it was- an ongoing effect from the first year that we spent in the course that was face-to-face. I had a whole year, year and a bit pretty much, of the course where we were together in the classroom and, you know, taking different electives and meeting new people. I think I had the benefit of having that first year of my master's to get to know anyone, everyone, and create those groups. You know, we had Facebook chats for every subject. We had, you know, subject-specific Google Drives. We had course-wide Google Drives that we would share. We had a Facebook group with all the members of the cohort. We had balls and events and fundraisers together. I think having the benefit of that first year really paid off when it came to the pandemic because we already had all those relationships built. Yeah. Perhaps 
this year, it might have been a bit more difficult for the new pre-service teachers to establish that and maybe they felt a little bit isolated in that sense. Yeah. Um, so really, I am thankful that I had that first year because especially in comparison with my experiences in undergrad, as an undergrad, I was quite sectioned off. I felt like I went to my classes and went home. <laughs> yeah. And so it was nice to have that year in my postgrad where we could have fun and we could go out together and, and build those groups. It sounds like the, the true master's experience where you get all that early tertiary study jitters out the way where you kind yes. of you get used to it, all the stuff and then you fall into a rhythm. And as soon as you finish that undergraduate, you're ready to bring those skills in for the, the second portion. Yeah, agreed. And I think as well, when you start uni and you're there by yourself, perhaps, you know, you have no one that you know in your course, you often gravitate towards people that perhaps you wouldn't typically be friends with. And you mm. question, am I friends with this person because we're friends or do I just want some company? <laughs> and so once you get that out of your system, you get to your master's and you're like, no, I genuinely enjoy these people. Like this is a solid relationship that I'm building with them. And some of those friends are, are I still talk to and see today. So yeah, I think masters is quite different in that sense because you you sort of do get that young under undergraduate feeling out of out of the way. Yeah. But the great thing about teaching is you kind of all know which jobs you're going to be in as well. Exactly. Whatever you do there in terms of networking is going to contribute to what you do after uni as well. Yeah, and there's no reason not to collaborate and to share. You know, teaching itself is about helping others. So why would you not help your peers or your colleagues? Perfect attitude. Hopefully that exactly. uh, you just exude that as you continue your teaching. Because, I mean, not to speak ill of any any teacher in the system currently, but sometimes it can feel, depending on the school and the culture, it can feel like the subjects are a bit sectioned off, that yeah. people are set in their ways and they don't really want to bring new people into the fold or share their materials kind of an intellectual property kind of thing. But um, yeah, that's yours is the attitude that I think <laughs> the teaching industry needs. I hope so. I hope I can spread it around. That is your, I guess, a, a very broad overview of your studies, but we're very interested to hear about your first year out, having gone uh, into a job pretty much straight away. That probably would have given you a couple of months to prepare before the start of, um, start of the year at the end of January. Yeah, around, I probably had- Two to two and a half to three months to prepare, but during those sum during that summer break, you don't really hear much from your school unless it's like a staff induction, which I did have, mm-hmm. and then a few curriculum days at the start of the term. So you are still heading into it, maybe feeling slightly underprepared. It it really just depends on a school to school basis. Some schools get in touch with you and hand you all the materials straight away. They get you in touch with everyone. Other schools are like, oh, just wait until the induction day. So it really does depend, I guess, your level of preparation until January hits. It's always hard to prepare before you see any kids as well, right? Yes. And your allotment and your classes and how many in each class and what are the resources like and, you know, so many questions you, you ask yourself. What what does the curriculum look like? So you can, you can be prepared to an extent, but finding out all that information closer to the day will just add more things to your list. Did you find that you were a little bit anxious coming in that first day? I felt like I wasn't anxious until I started the curriculum days. I had three curriculum days before the first week of school started. And perhaps it was just 
information overload because obviously, you know, there's a lot to discuss in those three days. Mm. And my school took the, the first school that I started at took a bit more of a relaxed approach in terms of laptops and resources and Google drives weren't shared until the curriculum days. But then again, with teaching, you're never fully prepared. You're never on top of everything. Yeah. So I don't know if having those things two weeks before would have made a difference. I think those three curriculum days before I started, I was a bit like, whoa, okay, lots to do. Yeah. And that was separate to your induction, right? It wasn't- Yeah, that was separate. The induction was early December. And then we came back after school holidays to start the three curriculum days before term started. Mm. I guess a good lesson in flexibility and adaptability. The first thing- Yes. Get ready to hit the ground running. Definitely. It's a thing that most teachers, new teachers don't anticipate that uh, at the very beginning of that year- Teachers want as much of the, the holidays as they can get. And mm. then as soon as you come back, you want to sprint through that stuff to get you ready for the year and then get straight into it. Um, I think generally it's three days, three or four days. Around about. Some schools do a week just to come in, return to your desk, you know, set things up. If you have to set a classroom up or decorate it. Uh, but it's usually less than a week where you're given everything and you get straight into it. So I can see as an experienced teacher, you might have a completely different time to a grad teacher who's coming in for the first day. And one thing that I learned in my in my grad year of teaching is that often learning all the processes and the rules and the admin is just as hard a task as teaching itself. And so you're in that balancing act of, okay, I need to learn how to use my computer and access all the documents and use the school intranet whilst also planning for my lessons and getting to know my students. Definitely that ramp up of admin is a bit of an overload at the start. Yes. And I remember the first ever thing I asked advice on when the first day of school started was how do I enter something how do I log an incident on the school intranet? Because I didn't know those things, whereas an experienced teacher would know that at the back of their hand. So that's one less worry they had to think about. And I remember the second thing I asked someone about was, how do I word a parent email? So <laughs> it's those things that you don't anticipate add to your load in that first, I guess, term. And trying to find your feet whilst also pushing ahead is a really, not scary thing to do, but it's a new a new technique, isn't it? Yeah, completely new. Okay, so I guess we've we've gone through a couple of induction days. You're ready to get started with week one with all the students. I guess an important thing to note with your classes was if the school talked about the the whole point eight load thing being a provisionally registered teacher. I'm sure there'd be people interested in that. It was implied, and I knew that going in that I would have a slightly less load, and on our timetable it. It broke down our timetable into our maximum allotment and then all the periods we'd ha we had off due to our graduate loading. So it was very transparent in that I had, I think, four periods off a fortnight um, or s something along those lines, depending on how long your periods are in minutes. But I, I did know that I had a reduced loading going in. So there wasn't a negotiation there where they'd accidentally put no. you at a 1.0 and you had to no. dial it backwards? No, I was I was hired full time because I was on campus full time, but I knew that my loading was less than a fully registered teacher, I was aware. Okay. And how did that first week go? Oh, that's a loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> that first week without, I guess, trying to scare any of the pre-service teachers listening was an absolute roller coaster. It was highly emotional and it was tough. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It was really, really tough. 
And I think it was tough because my expectations of how I thought the day would go in that, that first day were completely different to the reality. And that's a key theme that I find with your graduate year of teaching and pre-service teachers is that sometimes you have to adjust your expectations of, of what teacher you think you're going to be, especially when you're in there by yourself, fully in control of everything. Mm-hmm. And so that first day I walked in, I had a responsibility with year seven. So I spent most of the morning introducing the year sevens to the school and, you know, these shy little humans who were relatively timid and and weren't causing too much of a fuss to going straight into a year nine class and thinking, wow, what have I just walked into? Yeah. This, nothing is going to plan. This is tragic. That first day really set me up. I'm going to say I set myself up for failure because the way I walked away from that class was full of anxiety. I didn't walk away from that class thinking, okay, I just need to adjust a few things. Let's make a few changes. It's only the first day. I walked away from that class in panic mode Mm -hmm. and I just broke down. And it got to the point that on the second day where I had to go back to this class, this certain year nine class, I had a bit of a, a panic attack before I went in. I think at that moment I realized, wow, I have completely just psyched myself out. I perhaps didn't react in the most productive way. And sometimes you can't help that. Sometimes it's all very natural and it's just a natural response, especially when you care so much and you want to succeed. Mm. But at that point, that was the first warning to myself where I was like, whoa, this was not a healthy way of handling this situation. Yeah. Well, that one creeps up on all of us. Um, Mm. I was lucky enough to get that out of the way in my practice days, in my second practice because I've been telling the listeners already, I'm an IT support experienced employee in schools already. So technology, no problem for me. Trying to get a DVD playing in a history class and it not working, that pile up of frustration for it being the easiest thing in the world to do, but not being able to do it as well as being in the, in the deep end of trying to teach classes where I'd never done it before. Well, I'd done it once before, but that panic just mounts up and it just piles up and it, it really mm. hits you hard. Yeah. And I definitely didn't react the way I expected myself to. <laughs> exactly. And it's it, I completely link this back to the expectations I had on myself. And hmm. perhaps I've always been hard on myself. You know, I've always been a hardworking student and I always expected the most out of myself. So I think that I put that pressure upon myself to walk into the first day, you know, guns are blazing, killing it, you know, absolutely smashed it, had the best time. And when it didn't feel that way, it, it was hard to deal with. And it, it was a real, I've never, I've never experienced anything like it. I remember exactly where I was when it happened. And I think from there, and then I taught the lesson, knowing that I'd made a few changes and it went fine. You know, it went so fine. Yeah. But I just psyched myself out beyond control. And after that lesson, it was just that release. You know, you have all that panic and anger and frustration building up inside of you that after that lesson and when the kids had exited, I just cried in the classroom because I was like, it's fine. I'm going to be fine. And I can't believe I just allowed myself to enter that state of mind so quickly. So that was that was a definite learning curve and it was a very prominent moment. Everyone would get it though, I think. Oh, absolutely. And 
Sorry to mm-hmm. keep going. Yeah. But it wasn't until I spoke to some of my other university friends from later on in that week that I realized we, had all, we all had a moment like that. It seemed like day two cry was the thing. Yeah. In that first week of teaching, because I, w- I was at a school where there was quite a big cohort of graduate teachers, at least seven or eight of us. Mm-hmm. And you look at them and you say, oh, they seem to be coping. They're having a great time. They're smashing it. What's wrong with me? You know, what, what am I not doing right? And that's where the pressure starts to mount up. And it wasn't until I spoke to my friends on the third day of the week that I realized we all had the same experience and we were all going through it together and it's okay and it's totally normal. So ha- that first week really was a learning curve in, in itself as well as the whole first term. But it's, it just shows you any kind of analogy where someone talks about learning to drive a car being close to teaching. Mm-hmm. At the very least, when the supervisor, when you're learning to drive the car, isn't there, the experience is exactly the same. Whereas mm-hmm. with teaching, not only do you not have the support there, you're also in a brand new school with a brand new set of kids. So it's more like learning to drive in a Corolla and then being given a semi-truck to- <laughs> Try and drive down yeah. the freeway at 100 Like learning to drive automatic, but then given a manual car. And you're like, what do I do with this? Yep. I don't know how to do this. This isn't for me. And that's a tough thought to tackle mm. because the first thing you go to is, well, am I really meant to be doing this? Am I capable of doing this? Is teaching the right job for me? Look, I look back on it now and I think, poor me, I just wish I could give her a hug and reassure her that everything would be okay. But in mm-hmm. that moment, it, it, it is a tough week and it's a tough term, that first term, but it provides you with so many opportunities to just grow and learn and take things away from it, which I have. So you'd, you'd go back to yourself on that first week, knowing what you know now and just say, look, just push through it. Everything will be fine. Yes. And you get to that point, I feel like it's quite common where people give you advice and often the advice at the time was, The first term sucks, get through it, you'll be fine. And you're listening to it and you're just like, I don't want to hear it right now. (laughs) I don't want to hear it. Life sucks right now. Nothing's going to make it better. Or you hear it and you say to yourself, okay, I know, but it doesn't really help how I'm feeling right now. That's it. Yeah. And so I was in that sort of mentality of, okay, things might get better, but what am I going to do right now? And- I look back on myself then and I think, wow, like things really, really, really do get better. And I wish I didn't just brush that advice away. Giving you a bit of a break there. It's sometimes you just have to sit in a feeling for a bit. And that's true. Just figure yourself out as things happen. Yeah. And it's not always constructive to get that feedback, even though it is correct. Mm. You know, it helps you grow. And it's the- Benefit of hindsight. You can, I can look back on it now and say the advice was correct. But in the moment, you do feel stuck. You do, you do feel like that advice doesn't really help you. So what sort of hope or do you have that keeps you going? And so I really would just say to myself, keep pushing. Things will get easier. As much as I would have hated to hear that advice back in January, it really is true. Okay. We are going to take a different tack now. Mm-hmm. We don't go for sensational journalism or whatever you might call it on the podcast often, but the part of the reason we're here on this podcast and why I started it in the first place to try and point out those gaps that the courses have where it can't teach you everything or it simply Mm -hmm. doesn't. 
So would you say that there were no opportunities in completing your master's for you to be confronted with a situation like this and come to grips with it? Or do you maybe feel like the course was very structured and controlled without that element of the wheels coming off to prepare you for that first moment? Or do you feel that it was just an inevitable consequence that everybody just gets? I think it's hard to avoid considering how placements and practicums are structured. Mm -hmm. We are with them. Whenever you go onto a, a teaching round or a placement, you're with them for such a small chunk of time and you're often not starting out with them. You come in midterm, clearly established routines. They already are familiar with the course. You have a teacher there who's supporting you, probably allowing you to just slot right in where they have and you don't have that exposure of starting off new. So it's hard to see how an initial teacher education course could prepare you for that first week of term where you're, when you're never exposed to that new experience during your education. Okay. And I was having a few conversations with some colleagues about this recently. Perhaps placement needs to be more like an internship where you spend a full term or a full year, I guess, working at the school because that would give you a bit more of a realistic sense of what your responsibilities and, and duties are. Because I, I know for myself, when I was on placement, I never had to deal with the admin and the learning of the rules and this and policies and processes and building relationships because it was such a small segment of time. Perhaps if teacher education moved to a more internship or apprenticeship model, perhaps you would be better prepared. But I think it's just something that most teachers need to go through. And I think it's beneficial too. Mm. It just seems like a consequence of the way that, I guess, education is structured. Yeah. It's, it was a question with no answer. So I was, I was just wondering what yeah. your thoughts were. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that's, that means that we should be creating more podcasts like this, right? Exactly. We need to make sure it's provided to them so they can hear from experiences like your own and, and learn what they can. Yeah. And I'm really not trying to scare anyone away. <laughs> I think we're being realistic though. I'm coming out on the other side, you know, it's it's all rainbows right now. But <laughs> it is really important to to manage those expectations and just understand what that first week and term might look like because it's not going to be perfect and there are so many opportunities to learn. And as long as you see it as an opportunity to learn, you hopefully won't get to the point where you want to leave the profession. It is just a chance to, and I've heard many of my tutors and mentors and colleagues would always say, the first year of teaching can be erased. It, it's a time to make mistakes. It's a time to feel the emotions. It's a time to experiment and try new things. But it's okay if you leave that first year and you want to erase it as well because there is so much more you can take into your second year and your third year and there's sort of that cumulative effect of all the things you've learned over time that will slowly build up. So that first term isn't going to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect and that's... The beauty of imperfection, I guess. Sage advice, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and we're only halfway through. Um, <clears throat> so much more. <laughs> so, uh, you haven't left the profession, but you did do a bit of leaving halfway through this first year, didn't you? Yes. And once again, bringing it back to expectations, I always thought, well, it, it is sort of like a common thing amongst pre-service teachers that you want to stay at your first school, make a good impression, settle in and find your feet. Um, and that's what I thought I would do. I thought I would stay at that first school and at least just stick the year out. And even so, pretty much almost until the end of term two, I thought that's what I was going to do. 
after term one, I sort of made some changes. I looked after myself a little bit better and term two was looking up. So I thought, you know, perhaps I could stick this out for the rest of the year and then reassess my options. But I ended up making a change. I was, I guess, approached by another school and I ended up leaving. Oh, so they came to you. It, w- it was a bit of a conversation, yeah, about, you know, a job that was available and if I was interested, I should submit an application. So they did make me aware of the position. Perhaps they were having some conversations about me within the staff room. Mm-hmm. And But ultimately, it was up to me to apply. So I thought, why not? I'll just see how it goes. Maybe I needed to find out a little bit more about the role as well. I didn't know much about it, what it would entail. So I took the interview experience as just an opportunity to find out more. And then it ended up leading into a, a, a role, a permanent role. So that was loaded in a few different reasons. One, it was quite a quick turnaround. So breaking that to my previous school was quite difficult and I understand, I guess, the pressure that it placed upon them. But, you, you know, you, I had to support them as much as I could with that. Two, I was leaving an ongoing position as it was. I was lucky enough to be offered an ongoing position at my previous school. So that was a big thought that was going through my head. You know, do I leave this ongoing position? What does my future look like? And three, it was starting a new school in the middle of my grad year, which is already a difficult year as it is, um, but am I willing to make this jump? It's never anything I expected myself to do, but I ended up doing it. And I think I have reaped the benefits of it. So I didn't, I didn't realise that you had a permanent position in your first school yeah. and you've moved into a permanent position in your second school. I didn't know that as well. So mm. having that interview process was quite daunting because I'm like, Ooh, if this is just a contract position, then what does that mean for my future? I'm going to have three different roles within a year and that doesn't look good on my resume. And, you know, <laughs> the, the thought cycle begins. Yeah. Um, but then it ended up being an ongoing position and that, that made me feel a little bit more at ease. Um, now, you haven't been too clear why the jump may have been a little bit easier for you from that first school. We're obviously not naming names here, but was there anything else that compelled you to want to make the change? Or was it just the the grass being greener on the other side, potentially? Um, it was a school that I'd been involved with previously. Um, I attended high school there. So, okay. it was a school I knew very, very well. Um, so, I think that did ease the transition because I didn't have to learn all those new processes again. Right. Things were familiar. I knew my way around the school. Um, I knew the demographic of students. I knew the setup and the way that the school ran. So it was removing that added pressure of, of learning that those things, those processes and policies, which perhaps made the transition a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. But also I had a semester of knowledge behind me now. I had been teaching already for two, two terms. I'd learnt the key messages and the key take-homes and I brought that with me. And I think what was really important for me was after what I would describe as the roller coaster of term one, and I alluded to this before, I made a lot of changes in terms of how I managed my time, how I looked after myself when I came home from work, even so much to the extent that I would leave my laptop on my desk because that was just a barrier that I needed to create between work and home. So I went into this new school already having those little habits in place. Mm-hmm. So I think that also helped me in terms of just settling in, you know, remaining positive and, and feeling good about my job. And you kept those habits at the new school in the lead up to yeah. the end of this year? 
Absolutely. As much as possible. Of course, you know, with teaching, you can almost never leave your work at your desk. (laughs) But when you can, it's a good little habit or even just creating a cutoff time for yourself. So, yeah, there are times where I'm doing a bit of work at home or extending into my weekends, but I have been able to sustain a lot of those habits, which I think has been essential for me. Now, you are fortunate enough to be in a permanent position twice, which doesn't happen Mm. too often, Mm. at least with what what you hear out of pre-service teachers usually when they get in the position that you were in this year. But it's all about who you know, isn't it? Teachers talk to each other. Yeah. And that's sort of how I did get this role. Um, They knew me. They knew I was heading into teaching and they were able to reach out to some of my close colleagues as well and get in touch with me. I think as well, being a grad, you can negotiate things. It's okay to negotiate things. I think as an early career teacher, you often feel as though you're at the bottom of the pecking chain and you have nothing to offer. So you can't ask for anything. But in my case, I, I was very straightforward and asked about the possibility and of, you know, a future role and, and looking at long-term positions. So you can request those things or at least just have a conversation about it and see whether you can come to a negotiation. Don't shy away from those conversations. Mm. I think if anything, my principal found it- Refreshing. Yeah, refreshing that, you know, I walked into this interview and said, okay, love, love this role, but there are a few things that we need to talk about. And I think that led to a really open conversation and that probably made up my mind about the role at the end of it because I knew all the terms and conditions. I ironed out all the details and that just provided me with a bit more clarity. A lot of teachers don't feel, starting teachers rather, uh, don't feel empowered to make that because as you said, you feel like you've got nothing to bring to the table. Yes. But you can very easily forget that you've just studied for two years potentially with three successful practices under your belt too. Yeah, and as well, being a past student, I could sort of talk about that and say, you know, as a past student, I can bring so much back to the college and and looking at where you do bring value and how you bring value. So definitely don't undersell yourself. Instead, find what what does set you out as unique and innovative and and bring that to the table because that could be the difference between just a contract role or perhaps looking a little bit more permanently. It's something that's changing in big industry across the board as well. A lot of times it was the old industrial age kind of you're a cog in the big machine that works and you're doing your bit to make that happen and you're kind of at the whims of leadership or the bosses to make that fit. But I think teaching has actually been a been suffering from that quite a bit too where not only is there the mindset that you're going to be in that one job for 20 to 25 years until you decide it's time to retire, but that you're starting out new, that you don't have anything to play with. Like it's a a really interesting mindset to bring. Yeah. And having that mindset, I think benefited me, not only in the sense that I could push for a bit more of a permanent position, but within my interview, thinking about what I could sell myself with and what, what things I could bring to the table. I mentioned- just my passion for, I guess, social justice and and working with current issues. And out of that, I actually got a a sort of junior leadership role. Mm. It's about finding those things, those unique selling points about you. And and sometimes that can lead to bigger and greater things, things you don't even expect sometimes. But if you're too scared to talk about those unique things about you or bring up your talents or your traits or even just your unique skill set, then 
you know, not having those conversations is more of a disservice than having those conversations and getting nowhere. I would have rather preferred to sit down in that interview and tell them everything about me and um, what I could bring to the table and perhaps not get offered anything rather than not discuss those things and just sit back and, and be at the whim of, of the cog, as you say. It gives you a chance to, to use that passion too. I think yeah. it, it's almost at its peak at the end of your studies when you're kind of like, all right, I'm ready to do this. Let's get in here and do all this cool stuff that I've been promised and, and been thinking about. And if you don't, don't sell that at the outset and tell them what's possible, as you said, you're just passively fitting into a role that they're trying to etch out for you. Yeah. And I recently spoke to a few graduating students from my university course. I said that to them. I said, don't feel as though the interview process is daunting or that you have nothing to offer because you are perhaps some of the most innovative minds in teaching at this point in time. Yeah. You have such a unique skill set. You have 20, sometimes, you know, 20 or 30 years more modern research than some teachers that are currently in the field. You have been exposed to a variety of teaching methods, a variety of activities and theories and practices that you can bring to the table. So, Often you are, as you're leaving that course, at that peak of knowledge and passion and inspiration to just skyrocket from there. So run with it. Yeah, this this is powerful stuff coming from you. I think I think <laughs> I feel like <laughs> spitting out inspirational quotes here. Yeah, we could write a book. We could um, absolutely, you know, build your profile as the like the epitome of the graduating teacher. Um, oh God! But <laughs> it's okay. We wouldn't have your name on it. You'd just be the inspiration. Uh, it, as long as you symbolise it as a roller coaster, then yeah, I think that would be the epitome. Sure, we can we can have the enlightened individual with uh, hands open, ready to receive, whilst riding that roller coaster in its peaks and troughs. Yes, riding the wave. Yep. But this is just the start. Where do you hope to be in the next few years? Do you have any big goals or? passions that you'd like to pursue? I know you said social justice was something that you're tackling at the moment. Yeah, I'm not too sure where the profession's going to take me. To be honest, I think people are scared that when you get into teaching, teaching is the only thing you can do with your degree. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have such a range of transferable skills and just knowledge that we can bring into any field. I would be, I think study is always on the cards for me. I'd love to go back and study. I A bit of a running joke that I have with some of my friends is that teachers, well, perhaps we got into teaching because we loved school and we loved that academic validation. <laughs> so I feel like I might get back into study. Um, but I always loved, especially university level study. So I wouldn't be surprised if I go back and even just do a PhD in history or something, do a bit more research, not, any, not even anything education related, just exploring my passions. But perhaps as well, looking at the skills I could take away from teaching, something else that has also sort of popped in my mind, perhaps teaching abroad is always a big option for me. Even looking at developing education programs within different sectors. So for example, state libraries or museums that have education programs and taking students, you know, excursions, incursions, things like that. You know, I can have a bit more of a hands-on role in terms of my passions in the methods and then also within education. So looking at how I can merge the two more closely. But I have really no clue because this first year taught me that any expectation I had could easily flight the window at any time. So 
just ride the wave, see where it takes me and just embrace any opportunity that comes my way. Well, you're speaking to my mind here. I've already told the audience in the first episode, if you haven't listened to that, please do, um, that my background, I, I completed my master's of teaching, but I haven't actually been a fully fledged teacher yet. Uh, mm. I've, I went straight into a job with the government to do IT training for a bit because digital technologies was my main subject. Also a little bit of history, so we might be able to connect maybe on a future episode on that too. Mm. Doing adult training, even in a, in a corporate style space, you still bring in all those skills that you used, that you, that you learned as part of that master's. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. the learning, the, what I recently discovered is called andragogy as opposed to pedagogy for adults. Yeah, right. learning new words all the time. Andrew, love that. Yeah. And yeah, just I'm in the position now where I'm not the typical trainer and we're looking to completely reform how learning happens, not just with technology, but with well-being. As people move back into the office, they need to be more supported. Mm. I have dabbled in a few opportunities to, to get that ideal role that I always wanted at a school that I've worked at before and in my subject with the potential for growth into leadership and even STEM, but sometimes it just doesn't feel right. And there's always other opportunities out there to leverage your skills. Yeah, exactly. And teaching, teaching is a skill that we use in everyday life in a variety of contexts and environments. And if we come out of university thinking classroom teaching is the only context in which we can apply our skills, then that might please many people for, for the rest of their lives. But there are so many other ways and opportunities that we can use our skills. And I think, once again, it's just managing those expectations. It's okay if you don't land a classroom role and you venture into another field or even as education support or a tutor or just admin at a school. There are so many different ways that you can bridge into the field. In your case, you're not really in the field. You're in, I guess, government services or IT services. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the one thing I've really loved to see from myself over this past year was looking at how, I guess, my attitudes towards myself have changed as a teacher and just being a bit more open and willing to explore different things. That's really cool. Mm. Well, we'll have to do, if the podcast lasts long enough, a 10-year retrospective maybe and check in <laughs> with you in five or 10 years. If I have this much to say after my first yeah, imagine how much I'll have to say after my first 10 years. It will be ridiculously long. You'll be writing books. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to hear me ramble in words. Oh, you never know. Where your passions may take you. That's true. But we are getting to the end of the episode, and I always like to finish these episodes with that one pearl of wisdom, the one thing, that piece of advice that you would give to teachers, pre-service teachers, people considering the profession, getting started, parents, community, any kind of advice that you've got, the one big thing that you would tell people about teaching, what would that be? Can I sum this up in, in a quote? Sure, go for it. So, a mentor at my first school, I was having a rough day one day. And she wrote this little quote on a post-it note and she left it at my desk and it read, unconditional positive regard is not only for your students, but it's for yourself too. And that really struck me at that moment because I'd been so hard on myself. I'd taken each failure personally. Mm -hmm. It led to the point where I was, where I was seriously considering 
my position within the field and within the role of teaching. But it's so true. You need to have unconditional positive regard for yourself in everything you do. Each failure is an opportunity to learn. Celebrate every win, even if it's the smallest little interaction you have with a student who may have been struggling or you may have been distant from or couldn't build a relationship with. When you feel guilty because you're not doing enough work, view that in a positive light, that you're giving yourself a break. You're giving yourself the opportunity to rest and be the best teacher that you can be. I think that quote has applied to me at all points within my first year. So my pearl of advice would be that quote and to keep it in a place where you reflect upon it daily. That is staggering. And uh, yeah, that's actually really great. It's something that probably never gets talked about, that Mm. when you do your classes, you're concentrating so much on the feedback from the kids and how the lesson is going and you're ticking all of your learning objectives off and stuff. You don't think the outcomes of that reflecting on yourself shouldn't be contingent on that, that you need to realize that it has to be unconditional. That is incredibly succinct. Love it. It's one of the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great. So shout out to my mentor uh, for giving me that one. Yeah. I think it summed up my first year perfectly. Well, you have to share the episode with them. And um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's been a really enlightening talk. I think we will have to have you back on again to talk about things as you find out more stuff about yourself and about the teaching career that uh, you can share with our valued listeners. No, thank you for having me and for having this podcast as well, because if I had this podcast when I was a pre-service teacher, perhaps I could have been a bit more prepared or had a few more nuggets of wisdom to take in with me um, for my first year. But who knows what year two lies ahead. I'm excited. And as as much as I've rambled on about um, how tough it was, I love my job. I love where I'm at now. And it really does get better. There is a rainbow. So yeah, love it. Unconditional self-regard. Unconditional positive self-regard. Perfect. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming, Tanya. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Matt. That was Tanya talking about her first year out in teaching and I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Next week, sticking close to the graduation of teachers from their course, we're going to be talking to Mia who graduated this year and we're going to be talking all about the GTPA or the Melbourne University equivalent and everything that teachers should be doing to prepare themselves for that big piece of work. Remember, if you want to interact with the community, go on to Reddit and search for r slash Australian teachers to talk to more teachers about uh, their work in teaching. You can get in touch with us via Instagram at Teaching Culturecast, on Twitter at TeachCultCast, or via the website, TeachingCultureCast.com. If you're interested in being a guest and a contributor on the show, get in touch with us at TeachingCultureCast at gmail.com, and I'll be in touch with you shortly. Hope you enjoy the rest of your week. See you in a fortnight's time. Thanks for listening.